This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, everybody? I'm Tofield Bourgeois from Bourgeois Fishing Charters. You're listening to Impact Outdoors Podcast. Tell you what, dude, um, I'll never forget. I was sitting in Florida. We evacuated for the storm. And I was watching video of the floodwaters and I was looking at the lodge flooded and we hadn't even finished the, the construction from the previous hurricanes. So you got to remember, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this just like the entire world is experiencing supply chain issues, construction prices are crazy. So we had still, we still had open wounds, so to speak, from the previous hurricane season. And then this flood and, and all this damage comes right again. And I was sitting in Florida and I'm usually, I'm very, I'm, I consider myself pretty optimistic and very positive, but I felt like I ran out of, it was gone. It was just gone. I, I remember sitting there with my wife and I had my head in my hands and I'm just, I think I was like, I'm done. I just, I was like, this is not, it's not fun. It's been nothing but headwinds the entire way, you know? And she I think that was the lowest, the most exhausted and defeated I've ever felt. But once we got in the truck, cause we were there for like a week and we couldn't do anything. We couldn't get into town. Our bridge was out. So I wanted to go back immediately. And she's like, we have to wait a little bit. Like we don't have electricity, we don't have water, our kids, what are we gonna do? So when I was finally able to go back, the moment I got on the road and started driving towards our home, the closer I got, my morale came up. Like then it became this mission. Like I'm on a mission to get my stuff back together. And from there, I, I didn't have any low, sure I got tired and you know, I huffed and puffed a bit, but I felt I knew what the task at hand was. And a lot of people came together to help. And it was just keep your head down and shovel shit every day, every day for months. And we're still doing it. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. Another great episode here at Impact Outdoors Podcast. And uh, this week, we've got my buddy Tofil Bourgeois from down in the Big Easy, down in New Orleans. And uh, we're going to jump in and talk all about his family's history um, with Bourgeois Fishing Charters down there, kind of started up by his father, and, and kind of how the, the untimely passing of his father with, his, with the plane crash and stuff, um, just how that you know affected him um the business um and kind of how it just kind of did a 180 on his life and career change and, and taking that over and spearheading this comeback there and and just everything they've had to deal with the last couple of years so this is just such a great conversation had so much fun talking with toe and uh really looking forward to getting down there and fishing with him soon so let's uh let's jump right into this one and here is tofil bush I'll go like completely like because I'm sure people listen have no idea who I am. So my name is Tofield Bourgeois, the fourth. Uh, my dad had started this company, Bourgeois Fishing Charters, back in 95. So it's a long family legacy we got going. Um, I actually let's see, it's been about three. It, we're coming up on three years since he passed away. So he he passed away untimely, um, kind of leaving the helm of the family ship in my hands. So I was actually tattooing full-time i had um i had a shop in the city here in new orleans oak street tattoo which i basically like the month after he passed away just sold and Mm. and shut it down because i mean it just wasn't realistic to to try to run both of those businesses an hour away from each other and and this place is so hands-on i mean we we've got roughly 20 people at any given time working for us you know so a lot of families a lot of families rely on this operation running the way it needs to run. Um, so it's, it's all hands on deck. You know, you can't, you kind of can't half acid here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, uh, you know, running a, um, a fishing lodge and charter business and all this is like, you know, it's like, well, you're just taking people fishing, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, I've got a charter business and it's not just taking people fishing. I mean, there's a whole, yeah. so much else. I mean, you got to be the best customer relations person in the world. And, and, you know, you're treating these people like your family every single day. And it's usually no somebody doubt. new every day and, yeah. and, and running the lodge. I can't imagine, you know, um, what that was like taking that over, you know, and, and, it, and stuff. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts and you do have to, to be personable and, and, and make impressions with every single person that comes through. And that, that's what's always kind of come naturally to me. Thankfully was, you know, I watched, I watched my parents and they're both very outgoing, very personal social people. Um, went to these sportsman shows, boat shows, any outdoor expos from as long as I can remember, I was helping my dad assemble booth going with him and just watching how he interacted with people and watching how simple it was to just put a smile on someone's face for him. Yeah. So that always imprinted on me where it was like, you know, I mean, your dad's your number one role model, you know? So I, I in that regard, I learned from the best, you know? Um, and I even took that and translated it. In, like I said, I had a now, God, 17 year tattoo career now. And um, I would do tattoo conventions and I would do very well at tattoo conventions. Not, not even before people see my work they would want to get tattooed by me because I just treat them like people. You know, a lot of, if you have any experience in a tattoo shop, you walk in and it's kind of this grizzly, like dude might look like me, but like, I think people's first impression of me is like, Oh, this guy, but you just smile and say, what's up, man. Like I remember the first time I walked into a tattoo shop 
the dude basically looked at me like I was an idiot. And I had money in my pocket to spend on my first tattoo. And, and he was just such a jerk. And I remember just being like, well, I'll never do that. And um, so it was kind of interesting. Like the things I learned from my dad, watching him interact with people, uh, people skills are people skills, and, and no matter what industry, you know. So that translated over quite easily. Now, the there was a lot of a lot of a lot of learning to do. And luckily, there were a lot of people on this team that stuck with me and believed in, in the, the fact that, OK, well, he's he's been around this his whole life. This is his dad's son. Let's see what's up, you know, because I built I built my own career from the ground up. I've been a licensed fishing guide since 2010. But honestly, man, like that was just that was like a weekend thing. Like I, I wasn't I wasn't professionally guiding in the past seven years i yeah. fished for me you know i'd fish yeah. with my dad i fished with my wife and my kids and friends but to make a job of it wasn't wasn't really in the cards tattooing was really taken off for me and and i play music as well it's another if the longer we talk the more the layers of this ridiculous onion i'm gonna peel back yeah you know what's the name of your band them old ghosts them, that's right them old ghosts yeah, yeah. 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 so it, it's like um kind of southern soul rock and roll band yep. um but it's a good life, man. I could still, you know, my wife's on board with me here. She's a, she's an RN. She's a, a nurse. And um, it was a difficult decision for, for us to make because just like I had to kind of put my career on hold to, to write the ship here, it was a no brainer. It wasn't a moment where I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to sell this business? Am I going to continue to tattoo? It wasn't, there was no decision for me. It was, Tattooing is going to wait. It'll be there whenever I'm ready for it. But right now I have to do what's right for my children. You know, mm -hmm. the next heirs in the line of this, you know, this is, he really built something incredible and he worked so hard at it. And I worked so hard at it. And my family works so hard at it. like, this is, there's everyone, so many people in our family's blood, sweat, and literal tears are on the grounds in this place. And for me to just let that go to the wayside would be so foolish. Um, yeah. and now has it, it's been an incredibly arduous past couple of years. And I think not just for us, but I think for, for, for everyone right now, times are crazy with the pandemic and all, but we had the pandemic then back to back hurricane seasons of just complete annihilation. Like, I, I mean, it's been, it's been one hurdle after the next. So right now we're actually, we got four and a half feet of water in the entire bottom story of the lodge. And the lodge is 10,000 square feet. So 5,000 square feet of four and a half foot water that when it went away, we had about a foot of just mud, just swamp mud that had to be shoveled out from every square inch, every nook, every corner. Um, and I remember and seeing some of those field, pictures on Instagram and stuff when y'all were going through that. I was just like, good Lord, man. Just, yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, it it. After, you know, we have our moments, dude, but like, yeah, like my wife's on my side. I got a team. My family's with me. We have I have such a good support system and I'm very aware of when it's time for me to step back, take a break. I have creative outlets. You know, I have art. I have yeah. music. Um, those things help a lot, you know, to 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 reduce burnout, you know, because if you if you go, 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 which we do, we go, go, go. But, you know, come five, six o'clock, like. I'm cracking open a beer with my wife and we're chilling on the back porch and we're going to, we're going to decompress. Um, and we know when we need to take our breaks, you know? So um, it, it's, 
on the heels of the, the storm rebuild, we're actually elevating the lodge. We have an elevation company elevating the place nine feet in the air. And that was completely coincidental on timing. Um, <laughs> it was it was just scheduled for December of 21 and August of 21, the storm hit. Yep. And uh, so now it's, you know, we're finally, things are getting cleaned up around here. I think these guys, dude, like I said, 10,000 square feet is a long slab. It's a big slab to dig under. And we got guys digging completely under the place and all oh, the amount of mud. It's it's such an engineering feat to see. I don't know how they do uh, that, man. So, so I mean, even I after uh, even after Hurricane Harvey, you know, hit the middle Texas coast and yeah. then the storm, we got all the rain up where I'm at near Galveston. And mm-hmm. there's tons of houses being lifted like that now. And these really? are like 2,500 square foot homes. You know, how do you lift a 10,000 square foot building? <laughs> it's beyond me man like it really is because every so every pillar that's going to eventually be under the lodge they're pushing these eight by eight cinder blocks into the ground with a little hydraulic press these guys dig trenches under there and they push those blocks into the ground until they meet the resistance they need they call it the refusal so i don't know what the, the the psi what it is that they're pushing and looking for but it took them 60 Six zero of those blocks (laughs) underground until they met the refusal. So 60 times eight inches, what what is the four? I don't know, whatever that is. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Six times eight, is that 480 inches? I think so. Do that in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) This ain't no math podcast. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot of cement in the ground. So, oh man. Yeah, but it's um, we're looking forward to it, man. You know, it's uh, sometimes, you know, these I'm coincidentally reading this book called The Obstacle. I said The Obstacle is the Way earlier, and I just started reading this book called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's it's a lot about stoicism and Marcus Aurelius and these really profound writings of these early philosophers. And something there's something to be said about the beauty in in these obstacles and what we can overcome because if we don't if we don't get these tests we'll never know if we could pass them you know so this the past few years have been a a string of tests for me and my family and and luckily i'm you know i'm proud to say that i think we're handling it well you know yeah i I got a little more grays yeah i think i think everybody does after the last two years but uh yeah man you know just wham with covid and like said the storms and stuff but uh you know i mean legacy i mean that's a i I think it's a big part of what you're going through right now and and what your dad had started down there when did he start um when did he start fishing roughly i mean how many years ago was that professionally yeah 95 93 i was in kindergarten 94 95 yeah so i mean he had a long he had a long time you know that's a lot a lot of stuff and then you and then with the the lodge and everything you know my first uh, recollections of your father was probably with a lot of people um, seeing him with Bill dance mm-hmm. fishing, you know, at the Chandelier Islands and stuff. And mm-hmm. it just blew me away. I had heard about that, but I'd never seen a, a show at that time, you know, where people were going out there on these planes and fishing. And, and I've got mm-hmm. a lot of people that go and do that, you know, all the time. And, and, uh, and that was so cool just to see him mm-hmm. untouched pretty much waters that people just don't get to go to. And, and, uh, right and that kind of thing. And, uh, um, it's funny cause I, I always, um, 
that's something I wanted to do. I wanted to come over mm-hmm. and do that. Right. Now I'm gonna have to come do it with you. But uh, we still got uh, it, man. We got yeah. we got some good pilots here, and that's the big question: is you know whether you know people ask me, am I gonna learn to fly? Right now, it's you know there's so many things on my plate before that becomes a viable question or answer that I have, but I'll never say never. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but in the meantime, we got some really good pilots. Um, we got three guys with us who are doing that part of the operation. Um, and it, it's cool to see their progression. You know, like we've got the, uh, the guy who was guy lane, who's been a pilot with my dad for the longest time. Um, and, and the two, his protégés, so to speak, Mm-hmm. um both both coast guard guy like one of the kids is like uh he's, i say kid he's 20 26 27 yeah younger enough young yeah. enough to me which seems like kids <laughs> yeah well his dad he's a second generation pilot his dad he's been flying like as long as he was able to fly he could fly so now he he flies the float planes here flies float planes in alaska and also flies these uh twin engine i don't mess up what they are tw- little twin engine i don't know if it's a jet or twin prop a little private yeah. um private jet type of deal but um it's pretty cool for such a young guy i think about yeah. like can you imagine being like mid-20s just flying across the country as your profession like it's pretty pretty wild like um but yeah so we got we got a good crew here man and i think it's it's um it's a lot about like you know if you're into football you know like our, our saints down here are, are basically rebuilding re- the whole franchise from the ground up is kind of how i feel <laughs> right now since everything you know we lost yeah. We lost coach, right? You know, yep. and I, I got to step in and rebuild the team. And, um, you know, we do, we got some guys that ain't with us anymore, some new guys. And it's just, that's just the evolution yeah. of business. You know, it's just the, the nature question of- in Houston right now is, are y'all going to take Deshaun Watson? So <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even yeah. turned the radio on today. So I don't even know if anything's happened on that front. But, uh, oh, man. Man, I, don't I don't keep know. up with it too much, but I'll, yeah. I'll hear about it, I'm sure. Yeah. So, but, uh, Man, well, how many, you know, as far as the operation goes right now, like how many guides do y'all have, you know, running the, the boat trips and stuff like that? We have five main guys and, and we can, we have like down here, we have basically our main captains. Yeah. Um, and then we have guys that we call when we need more, you know, it's kind of, the, there's a lot of guys on the bayou who fish mm-hmm. for the various operations down here. Um, Cause some, our, our lodge can sleep up to 36 people. Yeah. And we could host, we could host plenty more than that. Like our meeting space, like we could fit a hundred people and feed them easy. It's just sleeping them. We, we cap out at 36. Um, but the same thing with that, we have various little small Airbnb, Airbnbs and, and little lodges around here that we can outsource as well, just like the captains, but full-time regular guides, five of us. Um, and then, you know, kind of add on as we need them. Yeah. Have you yeah. been getting, are you doing any? fishing right now with clients dude just... i have fished one time since yeah, that's what i figured yeah yeah i'm yep. a carpenter i'm a carpenter right now i've been building <laughs> that's what it looks fish. like so yeah and i well so this is actually gonna be my second tattoo since the storm i've i've just i've gotten to a point where as much as i have going on i still you start to miss a part of your identity that that has been such a huge part of it and um so i've dedicated thursdays Today's Friday. I had to kind of move some things around. We had to load up for that show in Gonzales yesterday, but I, I've kind of dedicated Thursdays to strictly tattooing. Yeah. Um, Cause I have all these people out there with unfinished work, you know, and I just, I have all these projects I've spent hours and hours on and, you know, I owe it to them and myself to finish those. And it's, 
it's cathartic, man. It brings back some normalcy from, um, you know, a life before everything changed, you know, and it's a good change. You know, this, this, they say you don't become a man until your father passes away. And I think that's very true. I think that you're always still someone's son when he's around and, and, you know, like to have to step up into those shoes, I'm proud to be able to do it. And also, you know, to be able to do this and, and kind of carry on what he started and also continue to carry on what I started, you know, to, to try and find that balance to do both. And, um, you know, it's if it wasn't this, I'd be doing something else because people are like, man, you do so many things. How do you do it? I'm just like, I don't know, nervous energy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, I just have a lot I want to accomplish. My dad was always the same way, man. Like he just he was very, very focused on not squandering his time and i believe in that like there's there's a lot to be done and if he just had so many goals and so many aspirations and and that that bug i inherited it as well like i don't have enough time in the day to do all the things that i really want to do man you know i'm right there with you and i think <laughs> i think you know i don't know i mean i've got so much stuff going on you know and not to the capacity you're at but you know, no, sure. the podcast, the charter business, work, kids, and, and yeah, uh, we've got that youth program I was telling you about that me and my wife right. run and stuff. And uh, there is not enough time. I wish the days were thirty six hours long because seems like I could yeah. get a little bit more done. But well, are know, they keeping daylight savings time now? I read that. Uh, I think it's close to happening. <laughs> I think Dude, it's got to pass the house. Like, that's like the best news. I think that right there. Is I've complained every year of my life when it starts getting dark at five or whatever. It's yeah. misery. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. A lot of people have been complaining about it over here just because uh, I know when my grandmother was still alive, uh -huh. she would never change her damn clocks in her house. It was always <laughs> on the regular time. So yeah. you go over there and she's like, well, no, it's only four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, well, you're gonna you're gonna be late or you're gonna miss something. Yeah. But right, right. But uh oh, but it looks shit. like we're gonna be doing that. And I didn't know that apparently that had happened, like they had changed it. My wife was telling me last night at dinner that that it was changed a long time ago, and then they changed it back to where we did have like the regular really? time and then daylight savings time. I didn't know that. I think it was back in the 70s, maybe or something, but um it's crazy 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 so but yeah i think yeah. it'd be good it'd be good for fishing so yeah man absolutely more, more, more time to get get out on the water after work so um, I support. but uh, i'm with yeah so um so where did the you're very artistic i mean mm -hmm. tattoos music all this stuff where did the where did that really start from growing up you know well the culture there in new orleans or i mean just no I have to say both of my parents were artists. All right. So my dad was a carpenter. Like he built custom cabinets when I was, when I was a kid up until I guess I was probably eight or eight or so when he, um, he started kind of making that transition over to fishing. Fishing was always like his entire life outdoors, fishing, hunting. That was my papa did all the same things he did with me. And even cooler, like I would hear these, my papa had this houseboat that they would basically live on on the weekends. And in the summer, they lived on this houseboat and just had what sounds like the best times ever down here. Yeah. Um, but growing up, he um, he would always draw out his cabinets and he had a very precise hand and he would craft these really beautiful things out of wood. Um, so he didn't he didn't really focus much time on on drawing things 
outside of the plans for things to build, you know? So he had that very creative mind and that eye for design and that steady hand to be able to do those things. And he always, he was always, you know, it's funny, these things you, you inherit uh, that aren't genetic, maybe not genetic, but it seems like learned behavior, like this upset with my hands. He's always been like, your hands are everything, like protect your hands. As a kid, I, as a young man, like teenager, I kind of like got into some fights, did some stupid things and like broke, broke bones in my hand. And he was like, what are you doing? You know, he just was so disappointed. And he's like, your hands are everything. Like our hands are everything. So my mom was, was also in like, she, she does hair. So that whole aspect of the artistry, like, uh, and she also used to like paint these really interesting uh, shirts. Like she was painting all these like cool characters on shirts. It was something that was like popular in the eighties and nineties. Um, so yeah, both of my parents were super creative and I, I was very into um, comic books and video games and I would draw the characters from, from just my favorite characters. Um, and then it turned into, you know, after school, me getting into tattoo art uh, as a teenager. And that's where it like really set off. And I went to college for art. Um, I actually went to college for music, music minor in art, um, a painting major. Excuse nice. me. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Um, so it was always something I just, I've always loved the the lifestyle that being an artist brings. And I think I think an artist is a very, I hate to use the terms almost like cringy for me now, like to call yourself an artist. Because I think I think a lot of people call themselves artists more than they are artists, you know, and they talk more than they walk kind of a deal. And um, I just, you know, I, I've always I guess I consider myself more a, a craftsman, you know, yeah. like I just I enjoy creating things. I enjoy the catharsis of, of taking elements of other things and, and making something new from it and nothing's completely new you know it doesn't exist in a vacuum but taking the things that inspire me and turning it into something else or going get a log out of the swamp down here and turning it into the cabinets in this lodge yeah. you know that's those are the things that that bring me a sense of purpose and i think it was the same for him you yeah. know so that's that's where i think the passion for art and just being creating you know i think he was always creating yeah. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that, um, just, you know, taking the business over and then pretty much having everything destroyed, you know, right in front of you with the hurricane, it <laughs> yeah. kind of, I mean, it's, it had to get your mind just going a hundred miles an hour of just thinking, how are we going to do this? What, yeah. what can I do? I was like, you can get down and dirty with your hands, like rebuild this. I mean, I can just tell that from, you know, looking at some of the stuff y'all are doing on social media, you know, like you said, with yeah. the cabinets and that's just so yeah. cool. You know, every piece Thanks, of that man. place is going to be, it's going to mean so much more to you. I think when it's all done. 1000%. And I, I knew that immediately. I'll tell you what, dude. Um, I'll never forget. I was sitting in Florida. We evacuated for the storm 
and I was watching video of the floodwaters and I was looking at the lodge flooded and we hadn't even finished the, the construction from the previous hurricane season. Yeah. So you got to remember, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this just like the entire world is experiencing supply chain issues. Oh, yeah. Construction prices are crazy. So we had still, we still had open wounds, so to speak from the previous hurricane season. And then this flood and, and all this damage comes right again. And I was sitting in Florida and I'm usually, I'm very, I'm, I consider myself pretty optimistic and very positive, but I felt like I ran out of it. It was gone. It was just gone. I, I remember sitting there with my wife and I had my head in my hands and I'm just, I think I was like, I'm done. I just, I was like, this is not, it's not fun. It's been nothing but headwinds the entire way, you know? And yeah. she, I think that was the lowest, the most exhausted and defeated I've ever felt. But once we got in the truck, cause we were there for like a week and we couldn't do anything. We couldn't mm -hmm. get in the town. Our bridge was out. So I wanted to go back immediately. And she's like, we have to wait a little bit. Like we don't have electricity. We don't have water, our kids, what are we going to do? So when I was finally able to go back, the moment I got on the road and started driving towards our home, the closer I got, my morale came up. Like then it became this mission. Like I'm on a mission to get my stuff back together. Yeah. And from there, I, I didn't have any low. Sure. I got tired and, you know, I huffed and puffed a bit, but I felt I knew what the task at hand was. And a lot of people came together to help. And it was just keep your head down and shovel shit every day, yeah. every day for months. And we're still doing it. But the, the literal shoving or shoveling of the shit <laughs> Dude, it's I, I hope to never do it again. Um, but to get back to what your point was, I when everything happened and this whole place fell into my lap, I did feel a sense of, well, I didn't earn this. You know, my dad passed away and now this is mine. But, you know, sure, I, I had a hand in building it when I was a kid. I would work, you know, I worked right alongside my dad until I started tattooing and then um you know, I was here every morning having coffee with him, but I went on yeah. and did my thing at a tattoo shop, you know. So to have now the sweat equity of the past three years and of that storm rebuild, like you're saying, this place is completely rebuilt now. And now it is it does instill that pride and that ownership and that say, well, I don't really care if anybody thinks, you know, people say a lot of shit, man. And people think a lot of things about me. They don't know. You know, yeah. I think on the outside, people may say like, oh, this guy, he was just a tattooer. What's he know about running a fishing business? Well, I'm very adaptable and I'm going to work like you're not going to outwork me if it's <laughs> if it's a matter of exhaustion. Like I'll die on this hill. Like I'm not going to give up, you yeah. know, so I'm not going to just awesome. stand here and defeat, you know, like it's not possible. So I think the greatest thing one can be. And I tell myself this every day is underestimated you know and I'm sure man i'm gonna keep my head down and keep working think what you may i'm still gonna grind you yeah. know and that's just the how we have to do it and it's not it's not easy living here dude we're outside of levee protection we got the largest pumping station in the world north of us outside the levees pumping water into our community and that's that's the shit this is where we planted our roots you know and it's yeah. like people aren't made this place will eat you alive, you know, and it's not a place for weak people, weak physically or mentally, man. Cause this, this whole experience is 
physically taxing, but it's mentally taxing. And you have to be able to, it's just like lifting weights, man. Like you got to lift them mental weights. It's just, it's a lot of that. Yeah. But I mean, I think now, you know, you're at a point now where you're, you know, just the, the rebuilding of the lodge and, and lifting it and all that. I mean, you're making it where it is going to be easier to come back and yes. prevent so much damage because I mean, yeah. this, I don't know about you, but you know, I've lived in Texas since 2004 and we got hit with Rita, you know, Katrina happened right after we moved down here. And I'm sure that was right. horrible for you as well. That was life changing. Yeah. And, and just, it seems like these storms just come in one after another. And it's just, I don't know if it's more frequent now or what, but it, it is crazy. And, um, yeah, right. Well, there's something to that, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not informed enough to speak on all like the climate change and things like that. I, it just, it does seem, I'll tell you this, we have a lot less buffer zone because of what the oil, what the oil industry has done to South Louisiana is uh, a crime and a tragedy rolled into a disaster that no one seems to be able to fix. And there was, I forget the name of the documentary, man, it'll, it'll come to me, but there was a really good film that, that kind of highlighted how it got to the point it is. They originally, when these companies were supposed to, when they were drilling and digging these canals, they would cut all these canals, all these man-made little, little wellheads and everything. They were supposed to return that land to its original condition. And somewhere down the line, there was a lawsuit, went to trial, and now there's precedent set. They didn't force them to return it to its natural condition. So you have the oil field cutting into our marsh on top of the rate that it now, it breaks it up. So it's just easier to go away. And these storms like Ida, I've never seen a storm do what this storm did as far as breaking up the marsh and pushing it all. Like the marsh was, you've seen the pictures I posted. It was the entire bayou was just completely chock-a-block full of displaced marsh. And now we lost, God, I don't know. I'd be speaking on my ass. I don't know the exact, you know, how much, how many acres of, of protection we've lost now. So, the next Ida that comes through is going to be worse than that. And the next one, even worse. So, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, man, because I think these oil companies could really fix a lot of the things they did and still not even touch their bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's crazy. Like you said, I mean, it's just, just keeps piling on itself. You know, I mean, you had deep water horizon and uh, just all the mess with that. And, and, uh, who knows, yeah. you know, where that will impact over the next hundred years. Um, yeah. but, yeah, it's crazy. And the, the cool thing about Louisiana, you know, is, is y'all do have so much marsh. You have so much um, habitat to have such a healthy ecosystem for all the fish and wildlife that lives down there. I mean, um, how's the fishing these days? I mean, I assume it, it's. Fishing's great, man. The fishing is really good. So right now, March and April, we kind of just on these transitional months, you know, where the weather don't know what it wants to do yet. You know, yeah. we'll have. We'll be lighting fires one day, jumping in a pool the next day, you know. So with that, you know, you got fronts rolling in still. So you got a lot of if you can if you can time it where you get a couple days of the same direct wind, not too crazy wind, we're good. But um, March and April can be great, but it's also just like any time of year, you're fighting the weather. But right now, you still got fronts moving in that kind of kind of throw things up a bit and stir up the water, makes it a little bit more difficult to find the fish now. Come May, that water, the water temperature starts rising, fish get more active. That's when it really, for me, I really like to start going after it. Um, April yeah. is a great month on the islands. 
Like right now, they're smoking the trout down there. And look, don't get me wrong. Like right now, the wind is whipping around here. We got a guy out fishing. I'm, I'm looking at his truck here. I'm wondering how he's doing out there in this wind because it's unreal. Um, so he's here. probably he's probably got some tree cover. He's hiding from from the wind, trying to get something. Yep. But, um, but no, man, fishing's good. It's just March and April. This transitional time, you're always it's a little finicky. It's a little fussy. You just yep. it's so windy right now. Um, that's wintertime fishing. That's why you go with the captain. They know they know where they can go get them fish out of the wind right. and stuff. So, that's um, right. yeah, I mean it, it's it's been so windy over here. We were out in the Gulf for my other my day job yesterday, and it's less than desirable conditions. But come on, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we what, got it done. So. Not guiding. So yeah, so I'm a, a fisheries biologist down here. So oh, in Galveston. Cool, so yeah, but uh, it's fun. Been doing it for a long time. So very cool. But, uh, that, you know, it helps stay, stay in tune with nature and, and everything that's going yeah. on over here. And, and Oh, and, man, that's that's great. You know, um, I'll have to pick your brain on some of that stuff because I've I've always wanted to to find a good a, a local Louisiana wildlife biologist buddy that I could because I always have so many very specific questions yeah. on what is this species? Play? What is it like? I just the curiosity and also like my my clients will ask me these questions and. And I know a good bit around here, but I, I want to know. I want to know what biologists know. I just find it so right. fascinating. You know, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a there's a lot of misperceptions. I mean, there's a lot of information that goes around. You know, between the guiding community and the general yeah. public and the science community and all that, and and uh, a lot of it doesn't agree with each other. You know, yes. due to due to money or or you know just a lot of different logistical reasons there. But um, you know, I I. I I think I'm pretty well-rounded. I can kind of look at things from a lot of different viewpoints because I know so many people in all these different industries and that's helped me, you know, over, over the last 20 years living down uh -huh. here, you know, um, get along with everybody, I guess. So. Yeah, dude. All right. Let's get a hot take. Can we get a hot take? In here? <laughs> <laughs> I got a question. It's not, it's not that big of a hot take. It's a fishing industry hot take. Cause I, all right. So like you're saying, there's all these different, different, idea or answers to these questions a lot of different answers to the same questions amongst fishermen and um i heard this one recently and it changed everything for me because i yeah. i've been saying and hearing the wrong thing and so you tell me maybe your biology background will help me with the proper <laughs> answer we'll see <laughs> so now this is from my dad okay now now one thing about guides that we all know is like never let the truth get in the way of a good story Right. Yeah. So a lot of times you get asked a lot of questions and you just got sometimes you just got to say some shit because <laughs> you don't know. Right. <laughs> so but my dad would say that the tails of uh, the redfish will get blue because that was them when they were running. That they, that was like their blood flushing their face, essentially. Now, I just heard I went fishing with these guys in South Carolina and they said it was from the shrimp they eat. And it's, it's a, I think it's still kind of a up for debate. I mean, a lot of the people over here that I work with, you know, they tend to um, believe through some of the stuff they've looked at that blue crabs, you know, they're eating, they're feeding on blue crabs and stuff. Cause usually when you're catching them in the shallow waters in the marsh, they're going to have that blue, the bluest tint to their tail, you know, on their caudal fin. And the, um, I kind of think it's the same, same line with the, with flamingos, you know, they get their pink color from their diet you know, right. from eating certain types of shrimp and, and, and stuff in, in the marsh and stuff over in Florida and where, where they live. Um, 
Because if, if you notice, you know, when you catch redfish, usually in deeper water and stuff, you know, they're they're predominantly feeding on shad and, and things that are schooling yeah, they more. Um, they don't have it. They're more just white, white tail. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's definitely diet related, you know, All right. on, on that color. So. Been living alive. <laughs> All right. So this is, you get my, my public apology to everybody who's ever been on my boat. I'm sorry. I lied to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I <laughs> thought I was telling the truth. Does that make it better? I yeah. really thought I was telling y'all the truth. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know, people think of, people think, you know, if, well, one thing I hear all the freaking time is if, if a redfish has got more than one spot, it's from a hatchery. And that's what? I never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it all the time over here. This is our hatcheries release millions of redfish every year. And, um, they do a really? great job. Redfish, speckled trout. I mean, tons and tons of these things all, all along the texas coast and the um we actually did a we did a big study i don't know 10 years ago or something looking at the genetics of redfish and to see what the um, percentage was from hatchery fish because mm-hmm. somehow i don't know i was i always sucked at genetics in, in college but they can mm-hmm. put these you know markers dna markers you know in the hatchery fish and the brood fish so they'll right. pass it on so they can kind of see and uh and I think our, our percentage up here in the Galveston area was roughly around 5% of the fish okay. that we encountered were from hatchery, which is very high. Usually it's yeah. like two to 3%. So, um, so they're definitely, you know, that's, that's kind of a misnomer, I think, but I love catching redfish with multiple spots, man. We always have a little side pot going on, on the charters. Who's going to catch the one with the most spots that day. So, but like, like straight leopard just covered yeah, in yeah man those oh, are always look. cool yeah always cool so um but uh but yeah so you got any more questions for <laughs> let me think hmm. we're gonna have to do a whole another separate podcast when we come i will see you in january right. so <laughs> be great like i'll prepare some questions of let's do that i guess let's plan we'll on do- that then <laughs> we'll have a sit down <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to, man. I think that would be cool. Um, But no, so I think, you know, kind of in closing, everything seems to be, there seems to be light at the end of this long tunnel. It seems that things are looking up as far as pandemic wise, people are, you know, there's still, there's always some problem in the, the, the global scene, you know, like we all are too connected now and we know about every little thing going on all over the world and it affects us all personally, but light at the end of the tunnel it seems that that's behind us and now this lodge rebuild is coming up i'm hoping um i keep saying june is is my projection on when we'll be back operational you know so we're kind of missing most of this good spring season but it's for it's for the greater good we'll never have to elevate this lodge again if we do i hope my kids are doing with it not me yeah, I won't be living where I'm in if you got to raise it some more too. So, oh my god, uh-uh. but uh, yeah. no, nah, looking good, man. I'm excited to, to like you said, kind of have have our name on and continue what my dad started and and you know carry it on just the next chapter of the legacy. Sweet man. Well, um, yeah, and you know, I just want to thank you for being on. Um, you know, it's kind of a fluke, man. I didn't expect to run into you in Nashville of all places. <laughs> so that was pretty fun running into you yeah. there and uh, actually getting to meet you for the first time. So, um, but uh, 
tell everybody um, where they can follow you on uh, social for the for the fishing stuff and then for everything else you got going on because the whole deal so uh the lodge is at bourgeois underscore charters i don't know if you want me to you can put text of b-o-u-r-g-e-o-i-s um the band is them old ghosts t-h-e-m-o-l-g-h-o-s-t-s um yeah, I mean that's but if you on the website it's much more easy. NewOrleansFishing.com. There you go. That's sweet. Like, we got all the Cajun food, the good fishing, the good amenities. We got this new and improved fishing lodge coming together for you. Ten thousand square foot old schoolhouse that can sleep up to thirty six people, feed you, take care of you, make you laugh, hopefully catch you, get you some fish, tell you a couple lies on the boat, have a good time. That's awesome, brother. Man, whole uh so much for having me yeah, i love you it's been fun man thanks for being <laughs> on so Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.